You're listening to This Guy Named Jesus by Sean P. Keenan, found at gettingtogod.com. I've talked before about how, in one way, a relationship with God is like a relationship with anyone else. I can't hand it to you, and no one can force it on you. You have to test and build it yourself. And a relationship with Christ is the same way. It was never meant to be such a thing where I or anyone else could force you to know God or His Son. That would, that would be weird. Hey, here's my buddy. You're now friends with him. And since you now live on my compound, here's my 10-inch thick rule book and the uniform you're going to have to wear day and night. Oh, and here's some special Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid! But at least there's some really good news for those of you who came to dance with curiosity or, or, or wrestle if you're feeling a bit more tough. Wrestle with curiosity. You get... Never mind. There's another way relationships with the Holy Trinity are like any other, in that I can at least introduce you. And there's some even better news here. A fit between a human and Christ is sort of like a fit between a new hat and an old head. Uh, it, it might feel kind of weird at first, but it's made for everyone. So, it's universal. One size, one guy fits all. So let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I've learned a lot about Christ by repeatedly reading his words and testing them and then finding the results to be completely consistent with his words over and over and over again, countless times. And I'll start with one of my favorite things that he has said, and that is in in. More specifically, Matthew 7, 7, he says, quote, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Unquote. Now, I love this saying because I'm a gearhead, and I love working on all kinds of sciency. Yeah, it's a word now. Sciency things like cars, electronics, and, and just about any electromechanical anything. And while I have formal education in these things, I was also largely self-taught. And I'm also a stubborn astronaut. See what I did there? I'm not really an astronaut. I was... Never mind. One of my favorite stories to tell uh, about my stubbornness is that when I was a child, when I was about 12 years old, I wanted to know how jet engines worked, and I wanted to actually build a jet engine. So I remember going to a teacher and saying, can you show me how to build a jet engine? And of course, you know, understandably, a 12-year-old, the teacher's like, you know, kind of sort of chuckling and, well, you know, that's really cute and sweet and all. And she said, and, and, and I give her a lot of credit for this. She said, why don't you go to the library, get a bunch of books, read up on how jet engines work, and someday when you get older... You can, you can maybe work on them yourself. You can go to school for this and whatever. And well, that wasn't good enough for me because I'm stubborn. So I did, I did, I took her advice. I went and I got all those books and I read up on how they work. So I, I went into the garage, gathered up some, some pieces like, you know, an old metal coffee can. Yeah, I'm old enough that back when I was a kid, coffee cans were actually metal. I want to make something of it. Go drink some coffee and calm down. Never mind. Anyway, sorry. 
coffee drinkers. I'm not trying to insult you. But there was duct tape. There was epoxy. There was, there was some plastic pieces and some, some parts like a motor and a fan out of a radio-controlled airplane that I had and some other stuff that I just kind of cobbled together. And I remember this day, the first day, put some fuel in the fuel tank, hooked up the battery, fired it up and turned on the fan. And it was amazing. It sounded like a hairdryer and a blowtorch combined. It was so cool. It didn't do much, but it functioned. It was a jet engine that functioned. And I, I like to tell that story because if I put myself on the outside of my childhood experience and I just look at this 12-year-old kid who didn't accept walls, that's what I love about it. I, I didn't accept walls. I never accepted walls. I've always been like that. I've always believed that where there's a will, there's a way. And I never accepted walls. And I think that Jesus was saying the same thing when he said, you know, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. I think that's kind of what Jesus was saying. And, and, and to not accept walls when it comes to the exploration of, of Christianity and that doesn't mean break God's laws, because those are not walls. They're, they're loving guidance. But when it comes to Christianity and its exploration, don't just take someone's word for it. Ask, seek, and knock for yourself. And this is one of the ways that I got to know God and that I got to know Jesus Christ. So for me, the test was simple. All I had to do was knock. And I'll tell you, there's a podcast that I've recently released called um, The Flashlight or... Something with flashlight in it. I should know that. But I gave a lot of detail on, on how to knock. Another thing about Jesus that I love is he was fair. And, he, and I didn't say he made everyone comfortable. Because not making everyone comfortable is, in, in large part, what, what fair is actually about. What being fair is actually about. And in Matthew 7, 2, Jesus says... For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And to me, that's pretty clear. You go around judging people, not forgiving them, and measuring out whatever you think you're measuring out to them, justice, whatever. Same thing's going to come back on you. Basically, it means it, what Jesus is saying is that we all deserve a chance to be led by God and led by Christ and to meet God and to, to be with God and be with Christ and live a life of Christianity instead of to be buried under our mistakes and under our, our, our misinformations and things like that. Another thing that, that I find particularly wonderful about Jesus Christ is that he knows my hardships. We all go through stages of faith and, and usually hopefully we do and earlier stages are weaker and later stages are stronger. And in one of my weaker times, I would wonder how much God actually cares about all of us. And I'd ask him that more than once. Something like, you know, do you even know what I feel like? And I had this image of a God who was so far removed from his people. He had no feeling for our situations. Like, like they were like God and Christ were so far above us that we were just like pawns in a game and I knew God was real, but I didn't know how he actually felt and what we actually meant to him. And then in later stages of faith, as I learned more about the life of Christ, 
I learned more about he how he'd gone through a lot of the same things that that what people like us go through and, and temptations and uh, distractions and and sometimes even persecution. You know, t- today we can type a word or two in a search engine or tap a screen, and in seconds we can be collecting videos and images of nudity and things that we really should not be into. And um, I personally struggle with that. Um, Christ didn't have internet. I don't think he did. Um, maybe, maybe he did, but probably not 5G at least. Uh, he didn't have, uh, he didn't have methamphetamines. He didn't have apps where he could touch a screen and have, uh, alcohol delivered to wherever he was staying. And, and though the details of his temptations were somewhat greatly different, somewhat greatly, um, the basic temptations were still there. And with the power of God under his wing, I mean, he could have had any woman on any night. He could have had alcohol, drugs. He could have gotten into gambling and won every game that he ever played. All kinds of stuff he could have done. So he could have given in to the anger of how badly the world had been run and, and frankly, how badly the world had been treating him and ignoring his father and the many people who'd put a price on his head. And the devil even tried it, tempting Christ many times. In many ways, the same as he does with us. There was the 40 days that, that Christ was in the wilderness and, and the devil kept tempting him. And he, Jesus kept quoting scripture to him, which is actually one of the smartest things we can do. It's, it's a, the word is a living thing. It is a defense. It's a mechanism we can use. But through all of that, he had all these choices. And you know, the devil's saying to him, you know, hey, give in. I'll give you all this stuff that your father's not giving you right now. He's like, no. And and through that, he kept the vision of freeing you and I and everybody else on this earth who wanted to take that path, who who was interested in that path, and freeing us from a a life and and a death of, of evil and an eternity that nobody, no matter how badly people think they want it, nobody's gonna want it in the end once they see it. I think it's really important to, to sit and just think and try and absorb the feelings and the emotional effects and the mental effects of the kind of life that Jesus lived. And it seems like most people tend to think that it was glamorous in some way. And then he had all this power and he could change his environment and the people in it with just a word or a touch. And while that is largely true, there really wasn't a glamorous life. He was persecuted. He was hunted. He was homeless, basically. He was outcasted and and hated. And I understand a lot of that. Personally, I understand a lot of that. Some of the things that I have personally been through, I can relate to being hated. I can relate to being persecuted. I can relate to being outcasted. And they're horrible things to feel. So it's not a big stretch for me to put myself into Jesus Sandals. I don't like sandals. But for Jesus, I'll put myself in some sandals. People, listen. PSA here. Don't wear sandals and socks. If you make that, never mind. But that feeling of not fitting and that feeling of of sort of like persecution and that went on his whole life. And it went on until his death. 
And then I want to get to the night before his death. It starts, you can basically start with this part in, in Mark 14, 18 through 20. Talks about the Last Supper. And as Jesus is sitting there eating, he says, I'm telling y'all, one of you that's sitting here with me right now, eating with me, is going to betray me. And, you know, they all sort of hemmed and hawed about it and asked, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And he says unto them, it's, it's one of you sitting here dipping in the cup with dipping in the dish with me. And after dinner, he's out, he's, he's going out after dinner and he's hanging out with his disciples and he's outside in this place. I don't know exactly where, but in Mark 14, 34 through 36, quote, and he saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And unquote. And so basically what this is saying is Jesus is he's coming to a realism with his own death coming the next day. And it's bringing him to his knees in, in pain, emotional pain and suffering. And I'm imagining this playing out this whole night. Here he is eating with his disciples and he goes into this area and he's, he's basically saying to God, the sorrow is killing me. And he drops to his knees and he begs God to take it away. And then before that, at this supper, he's like sitting there eating. One of his last jobs in life is to guide his disciples through this moment, knowing that this enemy that is going to betray him is sitting right next to him. And think about it. Most of us don't have any idea exactly when we're going to die. But what if we did? You know, what if we were going into an electric chair or in front of a firing squad or something and we were on a schedule to be put to death soon? And I don't know about you, but, but personally, the night before, I'd feel sick. And what if I had to try and eat a meal and even worse, to eat with a mixture of people who wanted me to stay alive and someone who was about to hand me over to the executioner? I don't think any one of us would be sitting in that seat at that meal, or in that yard, praying, without feeling dark, and, and ill, and sick to your stomach, and, and like, just, just losing it, and like the weight of the world was on our entire body. And yet here's this man, Jesus Christ, who basically says, please God, no, but if it's what I have to do for my people, to give them a chance to avoid a fate much worse than mine, then so be it. And he went through with it. And after that, over the next so many hours, he was spit on, beaten, made fun of. And then they finally hung him on that cross for six hours. And you think about this excruciatingly painful way that he would have had to hang, hang there. Nails. And while this is happening, even the people who are hung on the cross around him, at least one of them, is making fun of him. And other people are coming by and making fun of him. They're talking about things like what they're going to do with his clothes. And he finally cries out to his father. And as they say, he gives up the ghost. And he dies. And he does this. So that my beautiful little three-year-old girl has a chance at being more than condemned. He does this so that as a father, I have a chance to be more than what I used to be. 
He does this so that as a husband, I have a chance to be more than I used to be. He does this so that I can adapt the attitude that I want to be better every day than I was the day before. He does this to give me the leeway to do that and to not have to be perfect. So that question that I once asked God in Christ, do you even know what I feel like? It's a simple yes. And, and if anyone should be asking anyone that question, it should be Christ asking us. Because that generous, selfless, unbelievably amazing sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, it goes beyond anything that I could even imagine doing myself or or anything that I know anybody else would do. And God is included in this because God gave up his son. Let me tell you something. You know what? I love everybody as they are my universal family as much as I can, and I struggle to do that. But I wouldn't give my kid for a single, single person on this earth. I wouldn't watch my little girl get pinned to a tree with nails in her hands and her feet and watch people make fun of her and watch people bit over her clothing. I wouldn't ask my kid to die for anybody. And maybe I'm selfish like that. And, and I will continue to be selfish like that because that's what I do as a father. But somehow, God, this, this being whose thinking, his level of thinking is so far above mine, had found a reason to put his son through this. And Jesus Christ had found a reason to give his life and, and, and be, be nailed to that piece of wood and, and, and just cry out in pain and suffering for all of us. How could I possibly say thank you? The words thank you don't even cover it. Sitting out in this car, recording this, doesn't even cover it. I don't know that living the rest of my life in repentance and trying to make myself a better person than I used to be, I don't know if any of that even covers it. But the best I can do, the best I can do is to keep doing what I'm doing. The best I can do is to follow the example Jesus Christ set out of respect and out of love. So who is this guy named Jesus Christ? To me, the guy who my father, my father sent a piece of himself to me, to my world, to my messed up, screwed up, unappreciative, ugly world that I helped make that way to save me from eternal death. So there is love between us. And the more I imagine what he went through, the more I feel for him and what he did for me. So for the rest of my short vapor of a life, there will be no shame. I will have no problem putting that cross out front so everybody can see it. I will have no problem saying the words Jesus Christ as I used to when I was an atheist or an agnostic. I will have no problem saying thank you, God, and thank you, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to This Guy Named Jesus by Sean P. Keenan, found at gettingtogod.com. 
Find many more podcasts, articles, collections, and lots of information about the search of the soul at gettingtogod.com.